As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is episode 343 of Jumble Think. T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Welcome to Jumble Think, where we interview dreamers, makers, innovators, and influencers all about their journey of turning dreams and ideas into reality. Along the way, we're going to share some tips on how you can turn your own dreams and ideas into reality, too. On today's show, our guest is Steve Hers. More about Steve in a moment. Whether you're a new listener or a longtime fan, if you've never subscribed to Jumble Think, head on over to wherever you listen to podcasts and click that magical subscribe button. If you head on over to jumblethink.com, you can find links to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, and more, making it even easier to subscribe to the show. Now let's join the conversation we had with today's guest, Steve Hers. Hey there, friends. Welcome to Jumble Think. My name is Michael Woodward. I am your host. We have a very cool conversation lined up for you today. Our guest is a guy named Steve Hers. Now, you might not recognize Steve's name, but I can guarantee there are a lot of people that you know of, watch on a regular basis, or are entertained by because of Steve. Prior to joining the Montag Group, Steve was the president and founding partner of IF Management. Some of the people that Steve has worked with on a regular basis basis are people like Bob Costas, Joe Torrey, Jay Glazer, James Brown, Scott Van Pelt, Mike Tirico, and the list goes on and on. Not only am I excited to talk to Steve about his career, but he has a new book out. It's a killer book, an awesome book. It's called Don't Take Yes for an Answer, Using Authority, Warmth, and Energy to Get Exceptional Results. We're going to talk about that and much, much more. Let's go ahead and join the conversation with today's guest, Steve Hers. Steve, welcome to JumbleThink. Thanks, Michael. Happy to be here. I am super excited to be talking about your book. You have quite an interesting career, lots to talk about. Before we dive into the book, before we go into what you're doing now, I, I want to get a little bit of your backstory of how you got into the world of of doing some really interesting things for some very influential and important people. So talk to us a little bit about your journey into being a part of the Montag group and if management and what that looks like. I, I went to University of Michigan and I went there to become a sports writer. Okay. That was that was my goal when I went. I was in high school, editor of the sports um, newspaper, local paper I also wrote for. That was my goal. And then about halfway through college, I just kind of came to this realization that 
this isn't really what I want to do. Mm. So it, it was, I, I kind of, I, I shifted and, and, and started writing news articles and then op-eds. And you know, by, I would say by junior year, I did not want to be in journalism. That wow. was something I didn't want to do, which was a pretty big move in that direction, yeah. you know, after really wanting to do it. Joined the student government, was interested in politics. It was already, in my view, very radical at the University of Michigan in the, in the mid-80s, mid to late-80s. You know, frankly, I didn't find it all that enjoyable, for lack of a better word. I, I didn't find the – people didn't seem to have an ability to really communicate even then wow. on, on hot-button issues. And so I, I decided to go to law school. I went to Vanderbilt, and I had this moment two years into law school where a partner at a major New York law firm that I was clerking at pulled me aside at the end of the summer and said, look, I don't think you should continue to pursue a law career. It's, it's really not what I think you're best suited for. And I, I actually think you might even consider not even going back to your last year of law school. And it was a pretty uh, big punch in the gut, as you can imagine. But he was such a nice guy, and I respected him a lot and really looked up to him the whole summer. And I came to realize pretty quickly that he was right and that this wasn't really where my strengths were. And so I set about figuring out what else I was going to do with my life at this ripe old age of 25. <laughs> and I, I really always loved sports, and I was very interested in media, you know, from being a print reporter and having some other interest in it. And I found my way through a very weird bunch of relationships at this company called Athletes and Artists in 1992. And I found out for the first time at this company in 1992 that broadcasters had agents. I didn't know there was such a thing. We, we represented people like Forrest Sawyer at the time, who had, it was a big star at ABC News. And Monday Night Football, guys like Al Michaels and Dan Deardorff and Chris Berman at ESPN and many others. And I thought it was pretty fascinating that broadcasters had agents. And after learning that side of the business for a few years, I found it very interesting on a number of levels, which we can get into. And I decided a few years after that to go and open my own business. And I've had, if management was started in late 1995, officially in 96. And so I've been doing it for 25 years now. Wow. That's crazy. To me, what stood out on, on your journey and how you got to kind of doing what you're doing was you had a bunch of passions, but as you dove into those things, whether it was journalism around sports or whether it was law, you found that they weren't quite the right fit for you, whether it was somebody else telling you kind of that hard truth or whether it was your own discovery of saying, I don't want to do this. But in the end, all of these things kind of came together to create something that you didn't even know that knew that existed for you. I, I think a lot of people struggle with that. They either have a passion and they dive into it and they find, oh, this is not for me. Or they think that this is the career. Maybe it's a parent or maybe it's their own expectations that drive them into a career and then they get stuck in it. You've been able to navigate that and find the sweet spot for you. How, how would you or what would you tell somebody else on that same journey about finding what's right for you just like you did? Well, I think... I learned a lot from reading this book early on in my life that 30 million other people read called Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. Right. And, and, and one of the more important habits, lessons in the book was that he talks about begin with the end in mind. Mm. And I hadn't read the book my sophomore year in college when I decided not to pursue a career in sportscasting, but I did un, in, unwittingly think of the end in mind 
and that was the reason I left because I looked around and I saw who was who were the sportscasters in the locker rooms in Detroit at the time and, and who were covering the basketball games and what did their life look like and it's a great life but I didn't want that life and I saw the end yeah. here I was only 19 20 years old and I saw what 50 looked like and yeah. I, I didn't I didn't like what it looked like and the same is true for the law. I, I saw what a partner at a major law firm looked like and the, the workload and the granularity and the grunt, and it just wasn't for me. So I was lucky enough to see that. I would say the advice I would give people is, and I think I was, again, very fortunate enough to do this, is take the skills you have. Yeah. You know, I, I learned from being a journalist how to ask questions, how to not be afraid to talk to strangers, how to uh, elicit information from people, how to have conversations, also how to write. And so that was a really valuable skill set that I could take with me to the next thing. In law school, I learned how to think constructively. I learned how to see things from both sides of the equation. I, I you know, it's, it, to be a good lawyer, you, you can't just see your own only your side of the of the of the argument. Right. You have to actually do a really good job of trying to anticipate someone else's argument. Also, again, in, in law school, they teach you the precision of drafting something. They teach you what laws mean. And it's just a, a real, I think, a very valuable way of thinking. And so I took that with me also. So I had these two tools and hopefully a decent work ethic. And I was able to take that into this field of, of, of talent management. And I think, I think it held me in, in good stead. So for anybody who's listening to this, figure out what your skills are, what your strengths are, and they are transferable. They mm. are transferable and make sure you transfer them. That, that's my general advice. You know, you mentioned Covey there and thinking about the end. And I think about I, I went to Bible college when I was a kid. That's what I was going to be pastor. I did that for years. And then the economy tanked. They couldn't pay me. I move on. And there was this one word, though, that always stood out to me. It was Akhirit. I think it's an ancient Hebrew word, which means to think of the end and create a plan to get there. And I, I just think of that lesson that you're sharing there. I think so many people live for the now. They live for the immediate that they don't see the bigger picture of what this actually means for them. And they don't take the time to think of the end. And I, I love that advice. Many people think of agents. I think of watching Frazier and his agent on TV, that TV role. And, and I, I don't think they understand what an agent, especially a sports agent, does uh, or what you did. So can you tell us a little bit about what that role was and what that looks like uh, in, in real life, not televised, not, not the, the glamorized version of it? Yeah, it's a lot of things. It, it, being an agent in my world, sports television, news television, I mean, first and foremost, it's about hopefully having a relationship and the influence over what I would call a buyer. Mm. So if you have a client who is in you know, Seattle and aspires to get to ESPN or the like, it's, it's having the ability to influence the hiring person to say, look, you've done business with me now for 30 years. I want you to take a look at Michael Woodward's reel because not only is it good – but also he's a quality person and he's going to be a real good fit in your organization. He's going to be a good team player. He's going to work hard. He's going to make everyone else around him better. And so that's first and foremost. If, if you can pick up the phone in Seattle and get the same result as I can get calling ESPN, then I don't really add any value to your life right. in terms of the transactional nature of it. Then on the relationship side, there's a lot of other things. It's it's first of all, what real are we sending to the hiring person and what goes into the thought process behind that? And even before we even decide what to put on the real six months, a year, two years before that, how good are you and what are things you could improve upon on air to be better and to have more of a 
of when I send the link out, where they're going to say, wow, this guy's really good. I love his voice. I love his energy. A lot of things I talk about in my book that I think are transferable to everybody, not just people on television or doing podcasts or radio. So that's part of it. And then it's also, you know, it's a conciliary. It's someone that you can go to, a good agent, I think, that's going to give you advice on anything in your life. You're thinking about buying a house? I want to make sure I'm making the right decision here. Am I investing my money properly? Do I have the right insurance plan? Uh, you know, there's a lot of business related things that come up in your life. And wouldn't it be great to know there's just one person you could call that you trust, that even if he or she doesn't know the answer, they can lead you to someone that's going to give you really good advice. Yeah. And, and, and that's, I think, what we do. As we wrap up this first segment, there's three questions we always ask. The first one is, how do you find purpose in what you do? Well, I think that's the easy part for me, because if you know that you're offering something to someone else that's going to help their life and add value and something they can't otherwise get, then to me, that's the easiest way to find purpose. You know, you're, you're, you're spending your life in the service of others mm. and it's a very rewarding feeling. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm the most noble, <laughs> you know, you know, person in the world. I'm not, but maybe I just lucked into it at an early age. Doing this job is very rewarding. It's, it's, and you, and you also get to see the fruits of your labor often played out on a national stage. Yeah. You know, you see someone on TV who's moderating a presidential debate and you say, wow, I, I, I knew this guy when he was in, you know, a small market Jacksonville yeah. or whatever. And th that's a, a great feeling. What is one challenge you're currently working to overcome? Well, it's getting the word out on my book during yeah. COVID. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's, it's quite frustrating on, on one level to know that, you know, I was supposed to do events at Barnes and Noble and, 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 and Brian Park in New York and many other places. And every single thing I've done has been canceled. And so, look, it's, it's frustrating, but then it kind of comes back to it makes you check your ego at the door, because if, if you're writing a book for the purposes of it being a bestseller, you're doing it for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. And it's made me really uh, force myself to think about why I wrote it and hopefully just having the impact it has on those who read it is really the only goal. So nothing's really changed, but I'm still, I'm still trying to overcome the challenge as, as if I'm being honest. Yeah. Yeah. It, there's not a playbook for this challenge. Is there? <laughs> no, there isn't. There really isn't. <laughs> and finally, what's the next big dream idea or goal that you have? My, my goal, honestly, it's a pretty audacious one is that I believe that my awe principle, which is about teaching people soft skills with a very simple hack, I think that should be required, required uh, class in every high school and in every university and every graduate school in this country. The data shows how important it is, and the data also shows how ignored it is. Mm -hmm. So that'd be my goal. And, and if it's not my program, if it's something similar to it, that's fine too. But I do think we have to create very, very serious metric-based, actionable, soft skills training for all of our students across the country. Love that. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we're going to be talking about Steve's new book, Don't Take Yes for an Answer. More about that in a moment. We'll be right back. There are a lot of exciting things happening here at JumbleThink, including amazing upcoming episodes with guests and idea camps and much, much more. I want to make sure that you're the first to know about everything happening at JumbleThink. So how do you stay 
up to date on all things JumbleThink. Well, let me tell you about two great ways. First of all, you can head on over to jumblethink.com and you can sign up for that email newsletter. That way, right in your inbox, you'll get updates on upcoming guests and idea camps and some other exciting things we're working on. And then, of course, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. That way, you're up to date and you can join the conversation about chasing those dreams and ideas. And we can do this together. I look forward to connecting with you, hearing your stories, and letting you know about all things JumbleThink. So head on over to jumblethink.com and you'll find the place to sign up for that newsletter and also links to those social media channels. Let's do this journey together and let's chase our dreams and ideas together. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Now let's return to our conversation with today's guest, Steve Hers. We are back with Steve Hers. Before we dive into the conversation about your book, something really important we have to discuss. How do we find you and your book? Obviously, Amazon is always an easy place, barnesandnoble.com. But if you want one-stop shopping, just go to www.steven, S-T-E-V-E-N-H-E-R-Z.com, and you can order it or at any of your local bookstores. But that's the best way. You can also follow me on all the social media platforms through stephenhers.com. Yeah, love that. We'll have those links in the episode notes. We're talking now about your book, Don't Take Yes for an Answer, Using Authority, Warmth, and Energy to Get Exceptional Results. I want to start for you, as I as I read through the book, as I listened to some interviews you've already done, this name, Alfred Geller, came up. And he seems to be a big catalyst for you in this journey. Tell us a little bit about Alfred and and how this set you on the journey of, of figuring out your all, as you call it. I met Alfred Geller when I was 29 years old, and I had already been in the working world for almost five years, and I had already gone through college and graduate school. And I'd say that one of my frustrations in life is that I didn't really find a lot of professional mentors along mm. the way. Yeah. And look, I, I worked for some very successful people at previous companies, but they just weren't the type of people that 
maybe it was their stage in their life or whatever. They just didn't have the bandwidth or the interest to really be mentors, so to speak. And I met Alfred at this this news conference and I just found him to be a very smart guy and really interested in talking about ideas. That was mm. what he talked about. Yeah. And then there was this real crazy moment in my life. It, it was in 1995, November, a few months after I'd met Alfred, I got sick and I was working for a, a, a talent agency and I called the boss up. I woke up in the morning and I just had this realization that this is not what I wanted to do with the rest of my life is to work for that agency. And I quit and it was a crazy, stupid, ridiculous thing to do. And the guy was shocked and he said, are you sure you want to do this? Do you want severance? He was very nice. Wow. And I said, yes. And I, I, I hung up the phone and then I realized that I, I thought I just kind of ruined my life because I didn't really have any clients to speak of, just a few I was able to take with me and, and nothing else. And I woke up the next morning, I felt better. I went to my gym. There was a brand new gym that opened up across the street from my apartment. And I got in the elevator and as the door was closing, this gigantic guy walks in, just the two of us in the elevator, and it was Alfred Geller. And I didn't understand what a guy wearing a suit <laughs> at eight o'clock in the morning or seven o'clock in the morning who did not look like someone who was particularly into physical fitness was doing on this elevator. It turned out he was going there for breakfast. And I said, hey, Alfred, it's Steve Hers. We met at our TNDA conference and I told him I had this idea to start my own agency and I think he'd be a great partner. And Anyway, he said, great, you know, come come to my office and meet me tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. And when I worked with him, because we were technically partners in this new business venture, it, it, it opened my eyes up to all the science behind communication. Like, mm. Why do we like people? Why do we find people compelling? Why do we find people attractive outside of the romantic attraction? What makes us want to listen to someone? What makes us energized by another person? What makes us feel comforted by another person? What is it about someone's voice, their body language, their eye contact, all of it? He was obsessed with all of it. And he, you know, he lit the match for me in my life. He turned me on to a, a lifelong learning process of communication. And so I, I really owe him a tremendous debt of gratitude. He's, he's passed away since. But a bunch of us threw him uh, a memorial goodbye lunch after he died. And um, he, he really was a real student of all this. So I, I thank him for that. You know, you mentioned he was enthralled with this idea of communication, how to connect, how to share messages to get people to, to connect with you. There are people that it seems like that comes natural to them. And there are those who seem to work towards figuring that out, it, like really studying it. What is it about that that is – do you think it's just how people are born? Do you think it's that they're raised a specific way or that they're taking the time to study it that really crafts that, for lack of a better way, X or it factor where they're just like, well, that's the thing. They, they just get it. Everyone loves them. Everyone wants to be around them. What is it about certain individuals that it just seems to come so natural well, my answer to your last three questions are yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I tell people to go back and, and rewind if they want to know. What the, but so, so, yes, I mean, some people are naturally born to be great communicators. Some people are really well-liked. Some people know how to just – they just have a genetic gift for energizing you. Some people have a great voice like James Earl Jones mm -hmm. and, and others. And some people, unfortunately, are born to sound like Nathan Lane. But <laughs> – 
I do believe that this is true of everything in life. We are born a certain way and we can't control that. And we're also born, you know, with an ability to improve ourselves. And I think the question isn't really or shouldn't really be about, well, isn't this something you're just born with? Yes. I see a guitar behind you. Yep. You may you may not be you may or may not have been given the same guitar gifts as Eddie Van Halen, but it doesn't mean you can't play the guitar. It doesn't mean you can't get better at the guitar. And maybe you'll never be uh, on the stage at, um, at at a big rock concert, but that's okay. And and maybe I'm never going to be Tony Robbins because I don't have that energy and that performance ability. But if I can be a better version of myself, that's all I should be striving for. And a better version of yourself might mean a huge promotion at work. It might mean a way more ability to have influence in your life. It might mean more free time. It might mean a lot of great things for you. So those are the, I think that's the way it should be reframed. And so I, forgive me, but I, I, I try not to get in, get stuck in the paradigm of which a lot of people I think try to place this. Well, I, I think that jumping off of what you said, so many people tried to emulate somebody and you said, you know, all I can do is be the best version of who I am, taking the gifts, the talents, the personality I have, tuning those, refining them, cutting off the edges, rounding the hard spots. And and I think that so many people today are focused on, oh, I've got to be more like Matthew McConaughey. He's got the looks. He's got that accent. He's got the personality. If I'm just more like him, then I'll be a A-star actor like him. And yet so many people feel like they're not li living in an authentic life. So you've created this method, this all method of, of really getting to a place of being able to communicate better using these tools, these soft skills, as you called it. Talk to us a little bit about what those are and why these three specific traits are so significant in, in really stepping up our, our, our ability to empathize or connect or really communicate well. Okay. Can I go back to what you said about Matthew McConaughey for one quick second? Yeah, absolutely. So you, you may disagree with this, but I believe that we should emulate and imitate certain aspects of people, right? I, I don't think that's a lack of authenticity. No, I also I, I would also argue that some people who think they're being authentic are actually very inauthentic right now. And with some practice, they could actually become more authentic, even though that might seem counterintuitive. So that's one. I also think in every aspect of life, you know, if you want to learn to be a better tennis player, there are aspects to the mechanics of Roger Federer's game that you could apply to yourself. You're not going to have the same athletic ability as him, of course, but there are certain aspects to it. And the same goes for communication. All right. Now, now back to your question about. Well, I, I want to stop you there. I don't disagree with that. I think there's two differences that are really important there. One is there's a difference from learning about aspects to people. And there's another thing of being a carbon copy of that person. And there are a lot of people that I think what I was trying to allude to more was people who say, if I just am this, if I carbon and it's not authentic to their personality, you know, they fake something. I completely agree with what you're saying there that, you know, a, a mentor of mine always said there are there are two things you're going to learn from me, how to do things right and how to do them wrong. And I think that's what we can learn from each other. If you look at Federer and you're like, hey, I'm going to learn how to swing better. Or if I look at uh, Matthew McConaughey, I can learn maybe how to uh, deliver empathy better through the lines that I do or whatever that is. And so I completely agree with you. Right. There. right. Absolutely. I would, even, I would even break it down. 
and we let's talk about the all method because it, it yeah because because I so I what I would say is I would break it down into much much smaller parts okay. almost at the the cellular if you will or molecular communication level rather than talk about Matthew McConaughey's empathy I would say what is this the granularity of his empathy that you might want to em- emulate and that might get us into these ideas so the the all method is just look it stands for a authority. Now, this is all stylistic. This book is not for everybody, right? If you're the type of person who's looking for a miracle cure in your life, if you're not going where you want to go, this may not be the right book for you because it's not a miracle. What it is, it's for the type of person who's already doing a lot right and already doing pretty good and wants to be great. So it's a tuning book more than a fundamental like grounds. These are the building blocks. This is taking you to the next level. Exactly. if, If you're not... If you didn't study hard in school and you don't have good work habits and you don't know how to write and you're not showing up on time and you're unreliable to your colleagues, this book's not going to help you. I mean, it's it's not going to band-aid over a gigantic gaping hole you have in your life, right? But if you're the type of person that does show up on time, you are a decent enough person, you do have decent work habits, and, and you still are not where you want to be, then I think this book could be the right book for you. So the idea is that if you have the substance in your life, the substantive qualities that we just discussed, what you may be lacking is the style, right? So if you have the hard skills, it may, it may be a problem of the soft skills. And what the research shows is that the correlation and the causal relationship between your success and your hard skills is very small. It's just 15%. So you get this giant window of 85% that really not, like I said earlier, putting metrics around, studying, thinking about it, et cetera. So that's what awe is. Awe is just a simple hack framework to think about how am I doing on the 85%, right? And so it's, it's, it's the, what kind of an impression am I making on people with my communication, with my being in my regular everyday life? And the, my thesis is that the aggregation of all those impressions is what's gonna give you the difference over a long period of time the promotion, more clients, more influence, the better life that you want versus the plateaued life. That's it in a nutshell. And so the awe concept is just trying to take these very, very um, complicated and really hard to measure things and hard to explain things and put some very simple terminology around it. So the A is authority. Do you come across with a level of authority in terms of your demeanor? Are you someone that I respect? Are you someone that I think is competent? Do I, am I gonna put my, like let's say for example, you're a doctor. Am I gonna let you operate on me? Do I perceive you to have authority? Yeah. Now a lot of that comes with branding. Like if you're a doctor at a big hospital, if you've gotten accreditation and you're a surgeon and you have five stars on health grades, et cetera, that helps. But even then, if I go to visit you in your office for a consultation and you're hemming and hawing and you really sound like very unsure of yourself, maybe my case is different and you don't communicate any authority, I'm going to have a lot of doubt about you and I'm probably not going to use you as my doctor. So what goes into authority is your voice, your inflection, your emotional commitment to your own message, your, your lack of filler words, the rapidity of your speech. All those things, your body language, the eye contact you're making when you're speaking, your inflection. So all that goes into authority. And if you don't have that, then – and if you, even if you're missing, Michael, one or two of those things, I've seen it so many times, that can sabotage a person's authority and it could really harm the trajectory of their career and their life. Wow. And it's, it's shocking. Wow. 
So we start with authority, and it's this concept of of really building confidence in others and how they see you and view you. Correct. Very well stated. With authority, though, uh, coming back to this place of authenticity, I find it interesting because it seems like there are times when people come off like know-it-alls and that doesn't actually build the confidence. Like they're overextending how they put themselves into the situation. How do we find that balance of like, I don't want to say overacting uh, or over qualifying ourselves, but also have like this quiet confidence because I think, you know, you have that doctor that comes in and they say, Hey, uh, Bob, we've got a problem. And they're able to walk you through it. And and there's a confidence of like certainty. And then we see the other side of, of the coin, if you will, where you have so-and-so come in and they just drop names the whole time. Oh, I know so-and-so. And and they're trying to get a perceived authority based on proximity, maybe to somebody or, or overstating that value. How do we find that sweet spot of of true authenticity of authority, if that makes sense at all. It makes perfect sense. And, you know, it's, I, I, I just had surgery for the first time in my life last September. I had to have what's called hip resurfacing. And I interviewed a bunch of doctors, or I interviewed, I went to see a bunch of doctors. And I ended up being operated on by a guy named Edwin Sue, who is exactly the type of guy you just described. He was quiet and self assured. He didn't sell me on anything, and I chose him because he had what I talk about in the book as detached authority. Mm. He 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 embodied his field and and his 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 confidence in what he was doing, and he just he basically just said, "Look, I'll do whatever you want me to do." There were two different options. I could have had hip replacement or hip resurfacing. He said, "But I I know this is the right thing, but it's your choice." And he he was completely emotionally detached from it. And it was such a powerful way of being. And to your point, like I, I, I would never suggest that authority should devolve into arrogance or it should devolve into uh, name dropping or, or any of that. And, I, and I, I think that what I'm saying is, again, much more into the, uh, the molecular view of authority. You know, what, what's your eye contact like? What's your body language like? Are you using these filler words? Are you, are you facing me when you're talking to me? Are you engaged with me physically when you're talking to me? That's different than the actual verbiage, right? You're, you're, I think, I'm saying that outside of the four walls of the words that you're using, there's a whole, there's a whole kinetic relationship and a dynamic going on between two people that has nothing to do with the words. It's just all about the physicality and the nonverbal communication. And again, even though it's part of the words, but if you have a very uh, nasal, high-pitched voice or you're speaking in a sing-song way, you might communicate the exact same verbiage as another person, but you've lost your authority because of the physicality of your own voice. I hope that clarifies the point. Yeah, absolutely. I think the hard thing for that, and I know the book answers this, so we won't go too much further into authority there, is is the practice of this. Uh, and, and I think that applies to all the principles. So before we move into the W and the E, how can we better practice these traits that you're talking about there? You know, you, you, you say, here are the words, the spoken aspect of it, but here are the intangibles, the, the, the stance, the, how we approach, how we have the eye contact. How can we practice those kind of things? So 
what I would say is start with the title of the book, which is don't take yes for an answer. Change your mindset mm. and realize that all of us, myself included, of course, there are things we could be improving upon every day with the way that we're coming across to other people with our authority, warmth and energy. And so first find someone in your life that you trust, that you know respects you and likes you and really has your best interests at heart. Find yourself a critic, a, a constructive critic and get yourself what I would call an awe x-ray, right? Mm. A diagnostic x-ray. You ask somebody, you know, look, say to somebody, well, what, what do you think of my body language? When I talk to you, do I generally make eye contact with you? Do you feel like I'm engaged with you? Do, do you feel like I stand up straight? Do I belie a sense of confidence in my voice? Uh, how do you think uh, in terms of my sing-song delivery? Do I use a lot of filler words? So ask a lot of these questions to someone. And if you can find someone and you could do it for someone else that's going to be honest with you, you may likely – Find things out in this quote unquote x-ray that you never thought of. Yeah. And that's the most important first step because if you have a blind spot, you can never fix it. Yeah. So once you know what it is, then I think you're well on the road because look, Michael, I don't think it's that hard to fix these things. I really don't. Mm. If you have a bad habit of speaking with filler words and we talk about this in the book, it's an easy fix. If you have – a bad habit of having your voice be too nasal. It just means more of the air is coming out of your nose and you just have to reorient and learn how to breathe and support the air through your mouth. The, these are things people have been dealing with for a hundred years. They're not hard to fix if you put a little time into it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's jump into the W, warmth. What do you mean by warmth? I think it's just a question of connection. It's making someone else feel that they are, they exist in the relationship that you've taken the time with the manner in which you talk to them to let them know that they're also part of the dynamic and they're in the relationship. And I would say that, honestly, you do a great job of it, a great job. I, I could tell the minute we started communicating over email and, and, and text and uh, in person, you have a very soothing, calm voice. You make me feel important. Frankly, I've done 50 podcasts. I'd put you at the top of the list of people who have had warmth. And it's also just acknowledging another person verbally or otherwise. I mean, you can, if you're having a conversation with someone and you say, well, look, Michael, I, I really appreciate your perspective here. And I understand why that's important to you. You're making an acknowledgement. I'm not necessarily have to agree with you. I mean, I could agree with you, but even if I don't agree with you, it's also it all funnels into the most important thing in any relationship, which is trust. Mm. And if you think about, you know, business, right? Going back to the doctor, the surgeon I went to and his low key approach, not only did I feel like he had a lot of authority about himself with his detached nature, but he also was very confident, but he talked to me. He, he made eye contact with me. He, he almost, you know, figuratively took my hand and said, I'm going to walk you through this. I know there's a lot of anxiety about your first time you've ever had surgery, but Steve, I've spent my entire life doing this job. I, 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 I could do this surgery blindfolded and I'm going to take good care of you and we're going to have the best people. And it was just a tremendous amount of trust that I, I had with him. And it turns out I need the other hip done now and I, I can't wait to do it because <laughs> he did such a great job on the first one. Yeah. And I, and I joke around with people that if God forbid, like something happened, like I had a blood disorder, 
even though Dr. Sue is an optim- is an orthopedic surgeon, he'd probably be the first guy I would call because I trust him. He's my doctor agent, so to speak, yeah. with respect to that. But, you know, so ultimately, if you don't have warmth and you don't have connection and you can't make eye contact with people and you can't make them feel acknowledged, you're just going to – I keep using the word sabotage because that's what you're going to do. You're going to sabotage your relationships and or you're not going to have – realize the full potential of them. Mm-hmm. And and again, I, I do think it's a fairly easy fix. And let's let's talk about energy real quick, the E in this. What do you mean by that? That's a tricky one. It's it's probably the most complicated and hard to explain, but I'll I'll, I'll say it it's a feeling. Mm-hmm. It's a feeling you have with another person. And we all have a feeling. There are going to be people that are going to turn on this podcast and they're going to listen for five minutes and they're going to just can't stand me and they're going to turn it off. And or they can't stand s- me. <laughs> one of the two. <laughs> one of the two. Yeah. They might they might find me too overpowering. They might find you a little bit lower energy, whatever it's going to be. Yeah. They might say, I, I can't stand this. I, and then there are going to be other people that are going to say, wow, I love the combination of these two guys. They're just riffing here, yeah. you know. And this is so energizing me. Someone's listening to this in their car right now going, wow, this is great. And but it's a feeling. And I think that we have to realize that we create a feeling among amongst other people with our being, with our communication, with our physicality, with our voice, et cetera. And we have to understand that people want to be around other people that they feel are magnetic to them. Yeah. Right. And that energize them. And it's it's interesting because I know you read the book. But one of the more surprising things that people have said to me is that I didn't realize you could be really low energy and have the ability to be very energizing of other people. Yeah. I also didn't realize that you could be very high energy and be very deflating to other people. Yeah. So it is a fascinating thing that we, you know, warmth, I think, works very much in tandem with energy because if you are a great listener and you're a great acknowledger, and you make the other person feel so comforted as again, just using Dr. Sue, cause we've been talking about him yeah. as he did with me. Not only did he create a level of authority about himself, not only did he make me feel that I could trust him, but he energized me about getting the surgery and about wanting to make a full recovery, which I have Yeah. because not because he was like rah, rah about, we got to get in there and cut you up right now. No, it was because he was so, so authentically uh, interested in my well being. And his whole office operated that way, that it energized me about wanting to be with him. Yeah, and I, I think that that's one of the things that stood out to me. When, when I hear about, oh, they have a, an energy about them or they're just magnetic and in, in how big they are, uh, you know, I think of those people, to me, sometimes that can be overwhelming. Like, oh, you know, Tony Robbins is a turnoff to me. I personally, I just don't get anything out of it. I don't connect with his energy. But a lot of people would say he has huge energy. But to me, that's just, it doesn't work. Now, there are people that that works for, and that's great. But it sounds like when you say energy, it's like more than an external way they project themselves and more about how people feel about what they take out of that exchange. Exactly. But l- 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 let's let's make a really important point, hopefully, if you don't mind here. Yeah, absolutely. Re- re- remember, my book is really not about the Tony Robbinses of the world mm. or, frankly, the Michael Woodwards because you're a performer in a sense. 
my book is about what I call private speaking versus public speaking. Hmm. And it's, it's my idea that 99% of our success is related to private speaking versus public speaking. Even a guy like Tony Robbins, in order to get to the point where he could speak to thousands on stage as a public speaker, he had to first become a great private speaker, right? right. And so a private speech is a dialogue. It's, I mean, we are actually having a private speech, you and me, right now. But <laughs> what Tony Robbins is doing, it's not a, it's not a dialogue, it's a monologue. And I, I happen to agree with you that I don't find him so energizing. I find him energizing in very small doses. Yeah. But again, that's not the nature of most communication. And I think you would actually find him probably a lot more energizing in a small room if it was just the two of you if he said, Michael, I want you to do this with your life. And then he stopped and said, Michael – is this resonating with you? And he acknowledged you and he listened to you and there was more of an interplay. What I think you're not responding to is something uh, a guy named Michael Borkow pointed out in my book, which is he said, he went to go hear someone speak and he found the guy to be a real turnoff because he felt like the guy wasn't listening to anyone in the room, wow. which, is a, which is kind of an interesting thing to say. That guy was speaking to everybody but he wasn't really responding to anyone else and what their energy was. He wasn't shifting his his cadence to relate to people. Yeah. I think that's where you're finding your issue with Tony Robbins. Yeah. When I look at the all method or your principles here, what stands out to me is that there are people who are probably, and, and probably all of us, super strong in one area, but maybe really weak in another area. Is that what you see as you studied this, that it's about evening those three areas? Or is it more of that a lot of people are have atrophy in all areas or either really strong in all areas? Look, I, I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all approach, and I really don't think I could say that I could put people in a box in, in that respect. What I will say, what I have learned is this. I know that there's a whole uh, school of thought out there, Tom Rath and others, strength finders and soar with your strengths. And I do think that's true. You should so with your strengths. Having said that, in this particular small niche of the world with respect to awe, what I have found is I think that everybody has some strengths in one or two or sometimes even three areas. But often somebody has one or two really, really bad habits mm. in one or two of those areas and it just cripples them. Mm. For example, to your point earlier, you know these people, they don't modulate their energy and they just can't connect with people because people can't wait to get rid of them. Yeah. And then you know these other people who, they just never smile, they have this stoicism. You commented, you talked about Fraser earlier, think about Lilith, right? Yeah. This tremendous stoicism about her and this inability to really connect with people. And so I, what I find is that if you can figure out what these really, really bad habits are, and if you can just improve those little things, that alone can make a tremendous, tremendous difference in your life and your career. So you would say maybe not try to be focused on rounding out and being well-rounded on here, but really hyper-focusing on the areas that you go, that's my weakness in this all philosophy. That's the one thing I'm going to really focus on tuning. Instead of like, hey, I'm just going to get good at everything, focus on the flaw, work through the flaw, and strengthen that area instead. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm doing that myself. 
I, I, I have found in, in the writing of this book, and it's been four years now, and I still need to work on it, I found that I have three significant flaws, and they all relate to warmth. One is I don't smile enough, going back to having a lot of dental issues as a kid. And the second is I've had a bad habit of crossing my arms around other people. That I've mostly rectified. And the third is when I talk about heated issues, I tend to interrupt people. Mm. And I've really worked hard, although my wife would argue not hard enough. I've, 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 I'm working hard yeah. on rectifying those. And, and I think she would even say she's my best critic that if I could eliminate those three things, it would, it would mean a tremendous leap forward for me. As we wrap up this conversation about the book, I want to come back to the title itself. Don't take yes for an answer. So many of us, so many of the current greats, they seem to want to only hear yes. They don't want to work at their weaknesses. They are happy and content with where they're at. It's really hard to process when someone is critical and when they say, ah, no, you know, or whatever that is that that turns that that really putting your uh, yourself in that place of of not being around yes people. We want everyone to, to glorify us. We want to hear praises. And it's really emotional to walk through that process of, of being okay with no's and then growing from that. How can we become better at that one thing? Because I think that that unlocks focusing on the all. But until you get past uh, the insecurities of being criticized or processing the hard things until we're willing to address that we can't address all we have to be willing to pass through that door so how how can we process that i think you just need to really change your mind uh, mindset that's it just change your mindset and, and realize that most of us are living by the albert einstein uh parable of what is it? Uh, the definition of insanity is doing the exact same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Yeah. If you're, if you know, it's like that. Another saying is like perfect practice makes perfect, but imperfect practice makes perfect imperfection. And if we're going around in our lives every day, doing the exact same thing over and over again, making the same mistakes over and over again, not realizing we're making them, we're perfecting our imperfections. And so I think if, if there's one thing that people hopefully will get out of my, my message is where are you in your life right now? And, and let's use you, for example, if you don't mind. Yeah. You are a, a very successful guy, but I would argue that your podcast could do a lot better. Yeah. Right? And I only say that because everybody's podcast could do better. I'm not particularly <laughs> making fun of you. No. And, and, and if, 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 if there was something that you were doing that we could figure out together that would help you double your listeners in the next year – you would be begging me for it, right? You'd Absolutely. Be, you'd be willing to pay me for it. Yeah. So so I, I would say to you and to everybody who's listening, that's what can happen for you. You know you're not going to double your listeners if you do the exact same thing, unless you're already on a trajectory of doubling, in which case we'd want to quadruple them. <laughs> but you know, you, you know you're not going to change the, the trajectory of your life if you do the same thing that got you to this trajectory. So ask yourself, where do I want to be in six months or a year? Yeah. And how do I get there? And if I don't institute a new mindset in my life of trying to encourage constructive fit criticism, I mean, think about this last point, right? Again, you play the guitar. Yeah. Imagine if you paid for lessons, right? Which I have. And, okay. Imagine <laughs> if you're paying, just, just imagine if you're paying for lessons and every day the, pro, the, the guitar teacher comes in 
and he just tells you you're doing everything great. Yeah. But you, you're not playing at Carnegie Hall, so how great could you be, right? Right, right. Assuming that's your goal. Um, that is the mindset. You would never in a thousand years continue to pay a guitar teacher to tell you how good you were, even though you know you're not. Why would you live the rest of your life like that? Yeah, so true. And that's why I hired a guitar teacher, because I looked at it and said, I'm a solid guitar player. I've played and gotten paid to play, but I can't sit in with a band and just improv. I can't just go in and sit with a blues, a great blues band and hold my own. I wanted to get better at that. And so I wanted somebody who said, this is how you get there. And we're going to work through that process. Right. And so the first thing he did for you is he gave you the x-ray. He diagnosed you and yep. said, you know what? You do well with these chords. Your yep. hands don't do that. Whatever it might have been. Yep. But it's, once you learned it, what the problem was, then it wasn't that easy. It couldn't have been that hard to fix it. Right. Exactly. Super cool. A lot in there. Uh, those listening right now, I, I want to encourage you. Go check out this book. We're going to have the links in episode notes. Go check it out. It is worth the read. It is worth tuning these things. And right now we're going to take a break. And when we come back, it's rapid fire questions. I know many of you listening help to put on some really cool events, whether it's a virtual event, which we're doing a lot of those lately, an in-person event, a workshop, a training. I would love to help you and your audience turn those dreams, those ideas into reality, whether it's talking about technology, innovation, idea formation, or even podcasting. I'd love to be a part. Drop me an email, hello at jumblethink.com, and let's start the conversation to see if I'm a good fit for your event. Again, that's hello at jumblethink.com. And let's start the conversation about how I can help your audience turn those dreams and ideas into reality. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Now let's jump into rapid fire questions with today's guest, Steve Hers. We are back with Steve Hers. It's rapid fire questions time. Are you ready? I'm ready. The first question, as a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? A baseball player. What is one tip you'd give someone with a big idea or dream and they don't know where to start? Just start moving very small in that direction. Write down your idea and try to even, even write one page about it. What is one change you'd like to see in the world? I'd like to see people respect each other's opinions a lot more and have a healthy dialogue. What do you want your legacy to be? That I made a difference in the world. 
that I help people become their better selves. Where do you find inspiration? Everywhere. Certainly from a lot of books, podcasts, uh, even sometimes a street sign. What is one book you think every dreamer should read? Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. For you, how do you define success? Just a feeling that I did my best every day and tried to make the world a little bit of a better place. What is one trend you're currently excited about? That's a very tough question in the time of COVID, but I think the freedom that will happen because people won't have to be married to commuting to work anymore, Mm. that I think is going to have a really positive effect. Love that. What is one habit you find helpful in your life? Working out every morning. What is one thing you wish you would have known when you first started out? That nobody really knows anything and it's okay. So true. If you weren't doing what you're doing today, what do you think you would be doing? I would like probably be a writer. You know, we have one more rapid fire question. Before we do that, as I was researching what you do, one of the things that stood out to me is that you have given back in some unique ways. You are a part of the leadership council, the local leadership council for Birthright Israel, and you also volunteer as a uh, tutor at the Horizon High School at Rikers Prison. I think so many of us forget to give back, and I love that I saw that in there, and I just wanted to just mention that because I find that inspirational when I see those kind of things where people who are busy, who have a lot to do, give time. So I just wanted to shout that out real quick to you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not unfortunately not doing that anymore, and they are closing the prison, but I did spend a year as a tutor at a school in Harlem, and it was it was very rewarding, and it really opens your eyes up to some of the challenges that people have that are frankly aren't as fortunate as I am and my kids are. Yeah. So I think, I think it keeps you a little bit more grounded and also hopefully doing a little bit of good. Yeah. As we wrap up, we have the final rapid fire question, which is what is one dream you are still wanting to fulfill in your own life? It's very shallow, but I, I had, I had a personal trainer in New York before all this happened and I had a goal of getting under 15% body fat. And that's my goal. As we wrap up, we always like to leave our guests to have the final thought. What would you like to leave all of us listening with today? I would say that realize that your academic training has not given you all the tools you need to succeed. And if you keep going down the same path, you're not going to find those tools in the places you'll be looking. So hopefully something like awe or something similar, focusing on the soft skills and your communication is something you'll put a little bit more effort and attention to. Steve, thanks so much for taking time out to share a little bit about your book. I agree. This is an area that we need to be teaching more in schools. We need to be embracing in our lives these soft skills, these emotional intelligence areas. And uh, I'm just so thankful that you took the time to write a book that inspires us to explore this more. So thanks for being on and thanks for taking the time to do the work to get a message out that matters. Thank you for having me. It's really been a pleasure and an honor. And I'm really touched that you said that. So thank you. Once again, I want to thank today's guest, Steve Hers, for taking time out and being with us here on JumbleThink. His links both to him and the book are in the episode notes. Go check it out. The book is awesome. You should go read that. One of my big takeaways from today's conversation, it's very simple. We often struggle the power to convince others that our dreams and ideas matter. Often we have a passion, we have a message, we have something burning inside of us, but we really don't know how to convince others that what we're doing matters. This all principle, this this 
tool that Steve is talking about is so powerful in that process of getting others on board with our vision, with our passion, with our message. Read the book and be inspired. And, and I hope today's conversation inspires you to take some of these tools and apply them as you tell the story of your dreams and ideas, because your dreams and ideas do matter. It's the point in the episode where I remind you something very simple. No one else can make your dreams and ideas a reality. You have to do the work. So get out there, dream big, and change the world around you. Cherchez la meilleure position, les bras et les jambes légèrement espacés. Étirez-vous doucement, mais complètement. En avant, en arrière, sur les côtés. Vous êtes une autre personne. Les mères de famille, les enfants, peuvent également prendre un moment revitalisant. Dans quelques mois, lorsque vous aurez bien saisi la technique et que vous serez maître de votre corps, vous pourrez vous décontracter même en travaillant. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.